freaked out by my country right now. I know, I know how you feel, particularly the last month. And every, every month we say that, right? This month was insane. And I was, I was thinking about this. Um, uh, Terry told me just a couple of days ago, you, you need to stop losing your temper. And I hadn't even noticed it. And I'm not someone that easily loses my temper. But this last year and a half has been pretty tough on me because I've, I've personalized all of this stuff that's happening. Mm-hmm. Not so much to me, like you, you and I have, to, to use the left's word, we have some privilege in these lockdowns because we're able to keep working. Yeah. And you know, we're, we're part of the laptop class. So, so personally, this has been a pretty productive year, but, but I just hate what our government is doing to destroy people's lives. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> uh, it is, it, I think it's beyond reason now. I was just talking to somebody who said, um, they said, you know, do people believe? And I said, you know, the biggest problem in stopping the Holocaust was the Germans that really, truly bought into the propaganda. And they bought in so deeply, and that was such a bad thing that um, once they bought into it, they were destined to continue to buy into it, no matter how bad it was, because they couldn't, they couldn't admit the lie because it, and everything would come undone. Yeah. And um, for those of us who are awake, and I, I talked to Peter Bogosian today. I mean, he's on the left. He's wide awake, too. For those of us who are awake and see what is happening, um, the, the door is closing on your ability to say, okay, wait a minute, what's happening? Um, and it's, it's a little terrifying because the, the excuse that oh, they just have a different opinion, or no, this is happening, or no, they're just trying to save this, and oh, you're taking that out of context. You can see the deliberate destruction of freedom, of values, of people, and of the country. Every institution, everything is being destroyed. Um, And it's throughout the West. We're in trouble. Yeah. It feels like um, they they found our Achilles heel. They being this machine, um, they they've tapped into our fear, and it's it's not just about the the virus. I mean, it it could be about. Um, I don't think there's fear on the virus. It's funny. I just met somebody who um, was a big writer for comedy on the le- and he's on the left. Yeah. And he lives in California. He had two masks on. And he shook my hand with the elbow. Yeah. And he said, sorry, I'm, you know, I'm from California. And I'm like, no, you know, I get it, whatever. Um, but depending on where you're living, that's manufactured fear. That, that's unreasonable fear. Yeah. When you're, if I were writing a, a horror movie or a you know, end-of-the-world dystopian movie, the villain would not be COVID-19. You know what I mean? Right. That's like... Yeah. Really? What a wussy villain that is. And yet that's the way people are treating this. Like this is Ebola. It's not. Yeah. Well, they, they've, whatever that is, like uh, I'm, I now agree with Michael Malice that, the, that we should call it the corporate press. 
I agree. And, and when I use the C word, I'm, I'm actually suggesting uh, crony capitalism press. Uh, unfortunately, that's what it means for people. And, and this collusion between big media and government in this particular context, beyond, ginning up this. Yeah, beyond that, big media, big corporations. I mean, you know, everything is being done. So I can't go to my local Ace True Value hardware store, but somehow or another it's safe to be in Home Depot. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous. And it, it is this, this corporate giveaway. And whether you look at it as... Well, why would they do that? Well, because politicians don't like to fundraise. And it's a lot easier to fundraise, you know, with uh, 500 companies than it is with 13 million companies. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, no matter the, uh, the motivation, it's, it's happening. And I've always mocked the Blade Runner of he works for the corporation. Oh, yeah. Stop it. Yeah. We were wrong. We were dead wrong. And any conservative libertarian that says, well, you know, it's uh, they're right as a private corporation. No, no, no. It's in collusion now. Yeah. They're not a private corporation. It is a public-private partnership. And that is not freedom. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get very frustrated with fellow libertarians that sort of fall into that, well, they're, they're a private organization. They can do whatever they want. I mean... First of all, corporations are a government-created fiction, right? It's, there's there's very legal uh, protections uh, that come from incorporation, but we of all people understand um, public choice theory and the idea that that corporations have always used government to screw yeah. over their enemies. And in this case, it's it's it is a it's a real collusion because it's not unclear. It's not clear to me. I, I see that that like say you're a pharmaceutical company. I understand the attraction of getting the government to mandate that everybody consume your product. Sure. That's, that's a pretty cool business model mm -hmm. if you can have it. But it also seems to flow the other way where it's, it's kind of political capture with, with one party government in Washington, D.C. You clearly saw that with, who was it, Pfizer, that the Sunday after the election came out and said, oh, by the way, we've got, we just discovered it, it was in my back pocket. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Really? There was no word on that. And then as soon as Biden is elected, they announced the discovery of a lifetime. Yeah. It's, it's sickening. It's sickening because it's, they are part of whatever it is and whatever their motivation. And I think there's, I think there's a ton of motivation going on, but you are seeing the result of people now in power that believe the American experiment is over and uh, the American power around the globe is over and they're managing the decline. That's yeah. the best. They're yeah. managing the decline. Yeah. And they're getting theirs. Well, it is... Uh I mean, it seems like we've we've reached that tipping point. I'm I'm always the optimist, and I'm I'm gonna explain to you why at some point. Because I'd like to hear it. The you and I have been part of of at least several counter revolutions. Um, I go all the way back to 1994. I was a, a young staffer mm -hmm. working on Capitol Hill, and in 1993, the permanent 
conventional wisdom, everybody believed this, nobody doubted it, was that the Democrats would be in charge forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 90, 1994 came, the counter-revolution, Contract the pendulum swing, uh, the rejection of, of all of those 40 years of corruption that had yeah. become intolerable to all sorts of people. And of course, in 2000, and I, I'd say 2008, a lot of people say 2009 with the Tea Party. Um, started in eight. It started with the Wall Street bailout and the mm-hmm. rejection of that. I was say, what was it, 700 and some uh, billion dollars, which seems like yeah. a pittance today, but it, it started there. And I, I think the counter-revolution is coming, and the flashpoint probably is COVID socialism. It's, it's, a, it's the treading on civil liberties more maybe perhaps than the inability of people to actually legally go to their own jobs, but it's a cumulative effect of all this stuff, and it's not just conservatives at all. No, it's not. The vax mandate is not going to hit conservatives. It's going to hit deep into the blue-collar working class base that the Democratic Party thinks it owns, and civil well, especially libertarians. Especially African-Americans. Yeah. African-Americans is the number one group not getting it. It's not Trump voters. It's yeah. African-Americans. And they might have some reasonable uh, yeah, fears. Yeah, they might have some fears of, yeah. Of, it's of like government. the Indians. Hey, let's we're going to go collect the guns from the Native Americans. Probably not. They're probably going to resist that. Yeah. They have yeah. some reason to. So I, I think you have this very broad-based, and this is where the, the Tea Party was in 2008, 2009. It was a, a very broad-based, bottom-up, grassroots mm-hmm. rejection of authoritarianism, and and this could be the catalyst for that. I'm hopeful that it is. It it kind of has to be. We need we need pushback, and I see it happening in France, and I see it happening in Australia. Well, they were very they were very bright with uh, January sixth, and you and I have known this forever. You know, right. the minute anyone on the right uh, strikes out, it's going to be a bloodbath right. because that's what the left wants and needs. Yeah. Um, and, um, uh, but to see what they've, they've done with January 6th, and it's going to be a very, very tough needle to thread because they're teaching us lessons, just like we taught them. What, we're now two years, almost two years from the 15 days to flatten the curve? Mm-hmm. We taught them a very important lesson. You can do this, and we'll be okay with it. They're also teaching us very careful lessons. And that lesson of January 6th with probably, I don't even know, 20 bad guys that were out of control and the rest of them were kind of just like, I don't know, there. Um, They've taught us a lesson. Don't even come to Washington. Don't even come there if you want to march against us because we will have everything about you. We will open like they haven't already. And they're, they're teaching people, you can't do it. It's Afghanistan is a great example. And I, I think that you're right that these liberty things, um, especially from COVID, are an important catalyst. But I think, I think the move like Afghanistan was bigger and could be bigger. And it's because, you know me, I've studied Bonhoeffer and Gandhi and Jesus and Abraham Lincoln and anybody who has had these kind of movements that were successful, Bonhoeffer being the exception. 
And Bonhoeffer, I, I really spent a lot of time with. Where did he go wrong? He went wrong. He didn't go wrong. He was too late. The Judeo-Christian ethic, the love your neighbor, had gone away. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what we saw with Afghanistan. America recoiled from that because we still understand honor. And that was the biggest example of dishonor any of us have ever seen in our lifetime. And that was really eye-opening, I think, to a lot of people who vote Democrat, who are not leftists, but vote Democrat. And they saw that and went, wait, wait, we're doing what? And it made no sense. The more they expose themselves with some core principles, being against real core principles, um, the, the better it will get for freedom. That, I've been having this debate on my show, and I don't know exactly where I stand on this, but the, the shockingly incompetent withdrawal from Afghanistan, we shouldn't even call it withdrawal, it was, it was a train wreck, is this just how much government sucks, no. or is it, or no. is it evil? It's is evil. it stupid or evil? So, um, I've learned a couple of things. First of all, I have been willing to be on the bandwagon that Joe Biden doesn't know, you know, oatmeal from pudding at this point. Yeah. Um, but I don't believe that. I think he is lucid enough to be calling some of the shots. And Afghanistan, I believe he called uh, and is still calling Afghanistan. Um, But there is also something else that's going on. And, you know, I said, what was it, two weeks ago, I think, uh, on the air on a Tuesday morning, somebody said evil. And I said, let's not throw around evil. You know, let's not. There's. There's a lot of things involved here, but let's not throw around evil. By noon that day, um, I got a briefing, and Matt, there is no other way to define what's going on in Afghanistan other than evil. I can tell you that there are there are political reasons, um, there are petty reasons, there are um, negotiation reasons, but the number one reason is flat out evil. Um, we have seen, I've seen things that, um, that day, I not only said it was evil, I said, if this is what they're doing to our face, what is it that they're doing behind our back? Uh, I, I am willing to renounce my citizenship if this is who we are and are going to become. Um, the things that I have seen are Beyond imagination and yeah. beyond excuse. Yeah. Well, I always apply whenever I look at something that the government has done that is um, shocking to all of my values and my understanding about how the world works. I always apply one of two filters to try to understand what's going on. So my, my Hayek filter: Did they have a mm-hmm. knowledge problem? Is is central planning even when it comes to nation building sure. so grossly incompetent that the the results should have been predictable if you understood how government fails or is there sort of an incentive problem and that that gets into the power and the corruption Mm -hmm. and the evil part and it's always some combination of those two Mm -hmm. things government government can't plan even if it wanted to but 
if it could plan, the people with that much power are always going to be corrupted by competing agendas, self-interested agendas. But there used to be, I mean, I could go with that if anyone had been held responsible, if anyone would have changed course, if anyone would have retired, yeah. if anyone would have, if anyone would have come out and said, I can't, this is, this is a debacle and it's got to stop. Yeah. But they've doubled down and doubled down. And the things I have seen personally are beyond, beyond the pale. Yeah. It is hopefully a teachable moment. And, and I, w I would think about these things almost in the same way. The, the COVID lockdowns and the, the colossal failure of 20 years in Afghanistan and the way that we left people behind, it, it all kind of feels the same to me because it's us versus them. It's right versus wrong. And, and I also think, and this is what I want to talk to you about today because you've, you've been, um, you've had a busy month. Hmm. And you've, you've been on the ground in Afghanistan, and I want to talk about your efforts with the Nazarene Fund. And, and importantly, you know, there is sort of a lesson here about private action versus public action, mm -hmm. because government at its best still does all these things we just mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe it's not at its best, maybe it has an agenda other than ours, and you always have to take that seriously. But I think the reason you got so much blowback from the corporate press in your efforts is that you expose the lie that we can't get our people out. Do you think that's fair? Oh yeah, I think they're teaching, they're trying to teach everyone a lesson. Sit down, shut up and take it. You don't have the power. And that's what's been so heartening about this is, I mean, you know Matt, I mean, I don't have big corporations or big donors that are stepping up and here's a million dollars. We raised $35 million from my audience alone. And they came in in checks of five, 10, $100 a yeah. piece. I think the biggest donation we had was 300,000 and we had one. Um, uh, and it's, it's pretty remarkable uh, what happened, but they are absolutely trying to teach us, you cannot do it. And I had a hard time with this at the very beginning. I thought they can't be that petty. You know, lives are at stake. This yeah. is different. Yeah. Um, but it is. Uh, um, what happened um, a couple of weeks ago on that Tuesday is the, the day before, it's actually the, on Tuesday, I found out on Wednesday. Tuesday, um, we had four planes on the tarmac in, um, uh, in Afghanistan when everyone was looking at Kabul, and that was closing. We knew two days before, we're not going to get any more planes out. How else do we do it? Well, there's another airport. And no, almost no Taliban were there. And so we started moving people across the country to get them to that airport. There were uh, five major checkpoints. We had people on the ground um, navigating, radioing back and forth. We had people in safe houses. We moved 1,200 people in two days, unbeknownst to anyone. And we had moved them uh, just outside of the airport. Then we got them on the plane. This was Cam Air, 
and we rented a bunch or bought a bunch of the tickets, all of the tickets on these planes, and we're just like, no, no, just go over there. Here's your ticket. Get on the plane. And it was working until the State Department figured it out. The Taliban hadn't figured it out. The State Department. I had 1,200 people sitting in four airplanes, um, over 100 Americans. The numbers will astound you when we come out with who's on that plane, who are on that plane, and who's about to get onto more planes. Um, and the State Department jerked around and jerked around, and our guy was saying he is actually the guy who eventually started running all commercial flights out of Kabul. Okay, he's now in charge of all commercial flights in Afghanistan. Um, he's an American, but he's been coordinating all of these flights to get people out. It's, it's an amazing miracle just that. And he calls the State Department. He's like, let these planes go. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Let them go. You're calling attention to this. And they said, well, now, wait a minute. Who's on? So we've already filed with OFAC, which is making sure that we are not kidnapping people. There's no slave trade going on, et cetera, et cetera. We're doing everything by the book because we know if we don't, we're in trouble. Yeah. Um, and they, we said, we, we've given you the manifest already. And some of your people are on the plane. Uh, some other really important people are on the plane. We had four senators... Uh, two congressmen that I know by name, but I think there were six or seven congressmen, um, somebody else very high-ranking in the Democrat Party that had people on that plane or on those planes. They spent all Tuesday trying to get the State Department let the planes go. By 8 o'clock at night, the Taliban, you know, there's one guy like Steve, the Taliban guy, at the airport, and he's like, something's going on. There's planes that aren't taken off. Well, after a few hours, everybody from the Taliban is there. They realize, oh, we're being, yeah. we're being, you know, uh, scooped here. So um, those people um, are now in the airport, the Taliban. They've taken over. They've made sure that they're running all the ticket counters. We're telling the, the uh, State Department, take off. 11 o'clock at night, I go to bed. And the last report I hear is they've got the, the senators are pit bulls on the State Department. They'll get this done. I go to bed. I do the show the next morning. I get off the air. I get my report at noon. So tell me, where did they land? They said, Glenn, not only did they not land, the State Department, about 1 a.m. our time, told everyone to get off, go down in back into the terminal and hand their passports and their papers to the Taliban and the State Department gave the manifest, that's a kill list, gave it to the Taliban. I said, who, where are these people? They said, we don't know where everybody is. Some, very few, handful are still in the airport. Some of them have gone back into hiding. We've gotten some into a safe house. So we had 1,200 people. That afternoon, we called the State Department. We are on a speakerphone. So there are lots of people on this phone call. And uh, we're on a speakerphone, and um, they said, well, you just didn't have the right paperwork. It's always a different excuse, okay? 
You just didn't have the right paperwork. Okay, well, what paperwork did we need this time? Well, you need form number eight, wait, you know, 117 or whatever it was. And we said, we've never even heard of that. Where do we get that? They said, well, that went into effect. I think it was like August 28th or August 30th. Okay. Uh, and where do we get one? Quote, you get it at the embassy. So all these people have to go back to the embassy and ask for that. Well, first of all, that's on the other side of the country. Second of all, as we said, there is no embassy. You don't have an embassy anymore. This, and I quote, this is the way it was said to us. <laughs> well, you're just going to have to figure that out then, aren't you? Well, are you kidding me? That's why I said I will renounce my citizenship. I, I, there's no reason. There is no reason to do that. What are you doing? Yeah. Well, it's, uh, the, the incentive might be that Glenn Beck and all of these private citizens are exposing the lie that we can't get our people out or that our people are still there, whatever the lie is right now, or that we, after 20 years of planning, weren't capable of a, a systematic so, exit. So help me with that. So you will leave 1,200 people, including Americans, to die because you don't want other people to say you couldn't get them out, but these guys can? I mean, the, the amazing thing here, uh, Matt, about the rescues that are going on, and I hope... I hope that in a couple of days I'm going to have stories that will blow your mind on the good side. Um, but uh, I, I cannot, I, I can't, there's nothing, there's nothing that stands in the way of saving another human life. There are people who we don't agree with each other, we're working for different charities, no one is fighting, hey, I want credit for that one. Right. We're putting, we've put people on gray tails, okay? We've flown them with the U.S. government. Fine, get them out, get them out. You can't call it petty when you'd allow thousands of people to die because of what? Your image? Power. I mean, I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a paranoid libertarian, and I see this dynamic happen all the time, I think. To I, that extent? I mean, we're talking thousands of people dead. You're talking about something that's tangible and vivid, but I, I feel like um, governments do this all the time. The fact that we were in Afghanistan for 20 years. No, I, I, don't get me wrong. I agree with you. But at some point, it but is so vivid yes. and clear. You know, there's some things you're like, well, we really have to be there. We have to. Okay, that becomes, you know, psychobabble. Right. right. This is, I have these people. If you don't let them go, those people over there are going to set them on fire, behead them, torture them. And so, really, all you have to do is say, yeah, go. Yeah. That That's pretty vivid. That's. You have to be pretty far down the evil trail to say no to that, yeah. don't you? Yes. 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 And yet they did. Oh, um, they still are. Yeah. They still are. So what's, um, 
explain what would they say like what's the what's the best defense of leaving people to die that that are literally on a plane and have a way out um, well i will tell you this um, senators and congressmen spent the last weekend uh calling the state department and they got a different answer every single time we wrote them all down um, just so we can have it for documentation and we'll be sharing it um, when this is all over um, but it was all oh the planes have already been released it's just it's a problem they don't understand that they can go to uh, didn't have the right paperwork. Um, we're not so sure that this isn't a shady organization. You name it, they use that excuse. Yeah, I, I, I thought of a random example of, of you, the story that you're telling is like a weaponized abuse of government power for political ends. But there was a headline just a couple days ago, you guys might have talked about it, where a hip-hop artist was buying free air conditioning units to distribute in public housing in Florida because it gets hot yeah, and right. in the summer people Good die. And whatever the local welfare bureaucracy that has the best uh -huh. interests of those people at heart prohibited it from happening. And it's it's a it's a tiny example of the same dynamic. Same thing. It was the people who made sandwiches yeah. for the homeless in California. You can't do that. Right. Why? And I'll tell you why. That closes the human heart. That's what gets you to the Bonhoeffer failure. Right. Once you say, oh, I've got to ask for permission to help these people, your heart's closed. Yeah. Your heart's closed. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about the tremendous power of your community, because this is not the first project of the Nazarene Fund at all. Um, the, the fact that you can mobilize $30 million and I don't know how many donors in, in a couple days um, that the spirit's not dead. No, it's not. It's not. It's far from it. It's far from it. It gave me so much hope. And that's, I think, besides the actual li lives being saved. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you can compare that to anything. Um, but besides the lives being saved, that's the real story here. Yeah. Is people are starving for something good to do. You know, let me help and they're starving for it. And it gave not only them hope, it gave me hope, it gave, and I think that's another reason why they're shutting it down, doing everything they can. Don't give those people hope that they can do something, um, but it's, it's absolutely undeniable. Yeah, it, the, the thing I was saying earlier about um, losing my temper and just being been the tied up way. like a knot, um, something I had to teach myself when I was young because I'm, I'm one of these idealistic guys and I get all wrapped up about all the fights that I'm fighting. And in my 20s, I had to teach myself not to take everything personally and try mm. to divide the things where I could have a difference and have an impact versus just dumb things outside of my control that should have never happened but did. And I think that's the mistake I've made in the last year and a half. I'm taking all of this so personally I need to sort of focus on something specific. And that's what you did. I've had a really hard time with this. Yeah. Because um, it started at um, the Abbey Gate. We had 400 people that were inside the gate. And um, 
and people risked their lives to get them in. And uh, they were ready to get onto one of our airplanes. And the colonel that was commanding the um, 82nd Airborne uh, walked by them and said, get these people off my tarmac. They're in my way. And um, one of our crew said, no, well, they're, they're headed out. They're on that plane, just getting ready to move them. Get them on the other side of the gate. They can wait on the other side of the gate. And we said, please, they won't get back in if they're on the other side of the gate. Get them off my tarmac. That comes from the Secretary of State. Whether it did or not, I don't know. Um, but we moved them to the other side of the gate, and we told them, stay close to the gate. And they were women and children, and I have pictures of them at the gate holding their children in their arms. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> two hours later, we were having dinner, and I got a picture of that same vantage point with nothing but bodies and body parts uh, at that gate. And I just said on the air today that um, I haven't known how many people survived. I still don't know if any, if how many people survived. But we just got um, one of those mothers um, out yeah. this weekend, and it's hard not to take that personally you know yeah. i'm having a really hard time with a couple of things um people saying hey thanks for what you did i'm not doing it i'm just doing my part of saying hey does somebody want to help with this and then you know thousands and thousands of people saying yeah i can but maybe they only gave five dollars and they feel like i'm not doing enough they are yeah. And I feel like I'm not doing enough, but I am. And the people who are on the ground and the people who are flying the planes, um, it takes all of us, but it's hard not to take it personally. Yeah. And that's, you could look at that. I mean, your, your problem was you were there, so it is personal. You, you saw it. Um, and if you looked at aggregate numbers of, who's dying right now, it's devastating. But to me, the story that you're telling is about that one person. I know. And I know that's how, when you watch Schindler's List, at the end, when he's on the train tracks and he's holding his ring You can understand that. But until you have, um, and I'm certainly not Schindler, and I'm not responsible like he was, and I'm just a cog in a machine, but until you are an actual cog in that machine, you don't understand Those 400 at the gate and those 1,200 that were on planes that are now we don't know where, those are real people. And I know the stories of many of them. 
I didn't rescue them. I didn't have anything to do with it. But I know their stories and they're real. And it's, you can't, when you're that close to it, you can't separate. You, you, you can't, Sophie's choice, which one gets on the train, which doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Tell me, if you can, some stories about some people that made it. Have you done that yet? Is it safe to do that? Uh, no, I can tell you that um, there are babies being born. I can tell you that that would not have been born. I can tell you that there are people that were in um, dire health situations that got medical treatment. I can tell you that there are women that were promised already to be brides to the Taliban um, that are out. I can tell you about some of the female judges um, that put some of these monsters in jail. Um, there's 20 of them that wow. we have gotten out. Uh, there's a hundred and there's 180 more. And um, the reason <clears throat> I have had correspondence with one of them that is hiding right now. And uh, she's begging. They're close, they're close, they're close. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but there's been some miraculous things, miraculous. It was easier when it was, the, it was still hard, but it was easier when it was in Kabul. Um, now every single one of them is personal, yeah. you know, before it was, except for the moms, it was numbers. It was numbers because they were so many at the gate. Now we're going out personally. I can tell you a lot about the people that are next, hopefully. Not now, not, but yeah, not soon. soon. Yeah. How, I mean, the, the logistics, of, I, I'm just fascinated by, by what the Nazarene Fund pulled off because it sounds impossible. Um, Everything from security to finding those judges, like how how did how did you how did you find so these? So you people? would not believe how I mean. You want to talk about a small world? I have had hundreds of people like you, Matt. We've known each other forever, and all of a sudden, you know, a Matt Kibbe is in my email box, and they're like, this person is in hiding right now. I know who they are. And um, so it's it wasn't hard to find them at first. Yeah, It's really difficult to find them now because they, you know, we told them, turn off your cell phones. They're working with China. Right. Um, right. And so they're in, in hiding. We have had, on Christians, it was a little easier because it's an underground church. Yeah. And so if you can get the pastor or whoever is in charge, you know where they are and most likely you know where they're hiding. Yeah. Um, and that's been because there is some underground on that. But everybody, it's not just the Nazarene Fund. It is like the, I think it's the Mighty Oaks Foundation 
that is in charge of the of getting the judges. Yeah. And we're in charge of getting them out. For the for the most part, what the Nazarene Fund is doing is flights. We're at the airports. Yeah. We're doing all of the negotiations and trying to get those planes off the ground um, because it's such a wild expense. Um, and then we're working with others to say, here are these people. Can you go out and we'll fund them? You know, um, if they don't have the money, we'll help fund them to get them. So there is coordination, but it's it, all outside of government. Yeah, there's no, we didn't, most of us didn't even know each other. Yeah. There, this, this is, this is the free market at work. Um, and it, it's nice because no one has any other uh, agenda, at least the ones we're working with sure. and we know. No one else has any other agenda than just let's do the right thing. And I don't care who gets credit. I yeah. don't care who gets credit. And so it's an amazing system. You know, what we have, you know, what we don't have, they will have. And what they don't have, we have. Yeah. And so it's everyone sharing on a common mission. And it's just all organic. Yeah. Been amazing. I was actually going, uh, I was close to calling you because uh, we were involved in just trying to help a single family yeah and it's it was a guy named Khalid he's the head of the classical liberal think tank in Afghanistan and and very much a marked man in the new world um, but somehow or another we were able to to find a flight um, funded by one of these other yeah nonprofits um, because it it's that one like I know this guy, he's not a friend, but he's an ally, mm -hmm. and that became personal for us because we we had met him. Yeah, it's amazing how small the world is. Yeah, I mean it is truly remarkable how many people have connections. Yeah, into Afghanistan, you don't think anybody has connections to Afghanistan, and you you'd be shocked how close we all are. I'm going to have him, um, and I'll, I'll introduce you if you're interested, but he's going to be on my show soon. Oh, I'd love that. Talking about the last 48 hours. <laughs> I would love that. Because he, he had that experience of hiding and moving, and we think we can get you to the plane. You can't get to the plane. Oh, my gosh, it's so horrible. Yeah. It's so horrible. And then the ones who are out, we have um, the official number we're saying because we don't want to say everything, but... The official number is 5,000 that are yeah. out already. Yeah. Um, and I've thought about them a lot on, okay, you were in Afghanistan. Whatever it was that you did, you're now sitting on a tarmac, and you have absolutely no idea where you're going. Yeah. And some of these countries are halfway across the world or all the way across the world. And you don't speak the language, you don't know the culture, and you don't have a choice. It's not like we're going to say, hey, we've got flights departing, pick one. Yeah. It's just you're assigned to that country. And uh, it's these countries are amazing what they're doing. Um, but uh, I can't imagine being in that situation. Yeah. Well, I, I have this, um, it's not a joke, but it's kind of a joke that I'm looking at protesters in Cuba and Venezuela and people desperately trying to get out of Afghanistan. And I'm like, I'd love to do a swap. People that so desperately love want that system, freedom versus people in our country that despise it. Yeah. 
Um, I realize that's not a real offer, but I think, I think we should um, celebrate anybody that's willing to put their life on the line for just a little bit of the freedom that we take for granted. I tell you, I think, um, thank goodness we're doing something about those in Afghanistan, yeah. but we really missed an opportunity to not help those in Cuba. And I just love the social media giants who could ensure that everything was, uh, was coordinated and, and no one lost any internet and you could coordinate everything on Facebook, but gosh, Iran, Cuba just can't get it done. Yeah. Can't get it done. Yeah. Well, part of it is, um, we have to, uh, what I, what I always said during the tea party days and I'm, I'm someone that wants everybody that wants to come to this country and follow the rules and work to have a path to mm. this country. And I know that's controversial with some conservatives, but to me, the, the extraordinary effort that people come to enjoy those freedoms um, has to be the American test. And I, th I think about it that way, and I, I see blowback from some conservatives about, about rescuing our friends in Afghanistan, and I don't get it. I don't get it. I'll take anybody that wants to be here Right. Okay. Beyond just being free, wants to be here. Um, you know, we're not we, the ones that we are personally responsible for after we deliver them to a country, because yeah. we're not just dumping people off at a tarmac. Um, we're not sending any of them to Mexico, and we're not sending any of them to America. Um, and they might want to, but we don't know really who they are yeah. uh, and so we're putting them in the hands of and paying for two-year period um, but I don't understand I mean I understand the trepidation with the United States government bringing people in because look at our border yeah. and yeah. look at the the batting average here on what we have in Afghan with Afghanis on our air force bases they don't care they did no vetting they did no vetting um, but if you want to be here and you understand freedom uh, and you want to take the best of your culture and fold it in ours, I love it. I want you here because we need fresh blood in America. We need people who have seen it from the outside and go, yeah, OK, you guys make some mistakes, but you're nothing like the rest of the world. Yeah, I was uh, I was sort of joking this morning with uh, an investor of ours at Free the People that we need a better social change model than let's wait until everything falls to pieces and then people wake up. I mean, too and, late. And it seems like it seems like we're in this pattern where you know, people don't always learn the lesson of freedom until they've lost it all. Which is why I love speaking in former Soviet bloc countries. Yeah, me too. They know. They know. They know. They lived it. It's not a. It's not a like a third generation story that Grandpa used to tell. I remember uh, the president of Georgia about 2006, Mikhail uh, Saakashvili. He said to me at one point, do me a favor, will you? I said, if I can. And he said, tell your country to stop sending all your communists to us. He said, your State Department, your EDU, everybody you send over, we've seen that movie before. Stop it. We don't want it. Yeah. 
I, I hear that um, from my friends in Georgia, but pretty much every country that yeah. um, we're the ones exporting socialism. We are. And it comes from our universities. And When France says, don't take the poison that is being sent to us, and it's socialist, yeah. don't take that poison. When France says that, we've, we've jumped the shark. I can't believe that I'm seeing street protests in France. And not here. And not here. And it's young people. Mm-hmm. Um, young people here have been indoctrinated. Yeah. They're in my They're neighborhood. Of course, I live on Capitol Hill, but my neighborhood, everybody's young. Everybody's double masked. Everybody's scared to death. And of what? There are worse things than death. Yeah. I, you know, I, it's funny. I've, I've lived the last 18 months as normally as I could within the limits of what the government would allow me to do. Mm-hmm. But I, I can feel the clock ticking. I'm not really able to take two years off while the government locks down society. No. As if it And how do you restart it? Back. Yeah. How do you restart it? I mean, they're just crushing, crushing entrepreneurial spirit, um, you know, the spirit of you can do. I mean, I think the right should now start using the slogan, yes, we can. I yeah, mean, yeah. really, what happened to that, Barack Obama? What happened to the yes, we can? Yeah. But it gets back to the, the same debate about stupid versus evil because we're sort of stuck in this, this awful political equilibrium where lockdowners, um, politicians, bureaucrats like Fauci, they can't admit that what they just did to us made no difference. Fauci's in a different category of that, but I agree with you. But Fauci is in the category of, I was part of it. Yeah. Yeah, well, then yeah. if we unpeel the onion yeah. here, I, you I was see. I was there at Wuhan. I, yeah. yeah. That, oops, that has my fingerprints yeah. on it. And, and ultimately, we might learn that the reason that they've done this to us is to distract us from learning about I think why part of it, yeah. and where this started. But it's also just classic bureaucratic stuff. Yeah. Um, you can't you can't admit that something that cost people so much was a colossal mistake. And so you won't you won't hear about the fact that Sweden doesn't have any COVID death anymore because they didn't do that central planning um, suppressing a virus. Sweden thing. supposed to be more like Sweden. I'd. I agree with you. Yeah. For the first time, I agree with you. That's Let's weird, be more like yeah. Sweden. That's how weird, weird the world is. We mm-hmm. would not have said that two no. years ago. And two years ago, I did say when China was locking everything down, can you imagine trying to do that here in America? Americans would never put up with that. Yeah. And then it was 15 days. Okay. I mean, you want to talk about the frog being boiled slowly. There it is. Yeah. So what's the tipping point? When do, when do Americans get fed up? Is, is it the Biden mandate that you have to be vaccinated in order to hold a job? I don't think we're there yet. I don't think we're there yet. And I don't know. I don't know. I am not a... I, I, I'm currently in the midst of of hiring a millennial um, because she's wicked smart and full of joy. And one of my things is she is not allowed to work with my news producers. I don't want her infected because I've, I really am at the point of no way out. Yeah. 
you know, there's no way out. We're going to have to go through such massive pain. And if we survive, because my hope is, is that machines this large just cannot work. Yeah. I mean, imagine, imagine the arrogance. If you've been, are you been following the Great Reset? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Imagine the arrogance that we can, in all of the, over the entire earth, take the free market and flush it down the toilet, and somehow or another, everything's going to function okay. It's insanity. You know, I, I just go to worldeconomicforum.org and read their plan for food distribution. You read that and you're like, are you crazy? There's no way to make that. I mean, maybe if you say we're going to start it small and then grow it. No, no, no. We're going to start with the whole world. There's no way that thing functions. And it could lead to massive death and starvation. But it will be over. And hopefully we'll have learned our lesson and uh, value our freedom again. But isn't... Um, isn't 20 years in Afghanistan, sort of a microcosm of the same thing. I had Warren Davidson, the congressman, on my show, and I'm like, it's an experiment in socialism, right? So you have another country come in, don't understand anything about Afghan culture, mm-hmm. and, oh, here's, here's a trillion dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we'll spend $2 trillion. Um, but it's going to be centrally planned. We're going to decide how your economy functions. On the other side of the world. We're going to build your infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, we're going to build this world-class military force. Yep. And within 48 hours, it turns out that with all that money and with all that power and with all those super smart people making super smart plans. Do you know what all those super start smart people um, said no to during the Trump administration and then begging during the Biden administration? Don't turn this over right now. First, you have to add a constitutional amendment that allows us to elect our own mayors, our own local police, and our own governors. If you just do that, we think we can weather the storm. But please put that in. And America said, how are we going to do that? And they said, are you If you guys just say we want one, it'll suddenly pass. We refuse to do it. But what were they asking for? Local control. The answer is so small and simple. It's why, it's why they are working so hard to stop people from being rescued. Yeah. Because this isn't a big thing. This is little people doing amazing things. Just getting together with other little people that are like, I, I agree with you, we got to do something. It, it, the answer is local, 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 local. Never national. Yeah. <laughs> or God forbid, global. But see, that's that's the crux. The top-down systems don't work. Bottom-up, local cooperation-based systems work, which is why they're so anti that. Mm-hmm. Because, and and back to your specific project, you're embarrassing the hell out of them. I know. You. And a bunch of your friends got together and did something that they couldn't do. Not our intent. But. No, I know. Here we are. And that's, I, I think, that's, that's the evil part because their power is more important than those people. They haven't seen embarrassment yet. We have all the documentation. 
And uh, when all is said and done, yeah. then the embarrassment begins. Right now, we just would really appreciate anyone on the inside that's willing to stand up and do the right thing. Yeah. So one thing you said that I didn't realize is that there's hope for more people. I assume the window is closed. No. But you guys are still at it. Oh, I was hoping that today was the day um, that I could uh, announce something. But we have two individuals. I mean, think of this. Two individuals standing in the way. Two. And uh, I'm just praying that something will happen, something, somebody will say something to them, or they'll just have whatever it is. But uh, there is a massive history historic um, event waiting to happen uh, and uh, the window is closing it's not closed yet but it is closing yeah and once it's closed anybody who has any kind of ailment will be dead anybody who um, uh, is on the fringes is dead anyone who won't leave without their family is dead um, it, it, because it will go to one person maybe two at a time getting them out yeah. And really, I mean, grueling circumstances to get, get them out. So, final question, and this, this, this will put you on the spot, but um, was Afghanistan worth it? Uh, n- uh, not the way we did it. We should have gone in. And killed Osama bin Laden and moved on with our life. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I, I am not for uh, intervention at all. I'm just not. I'm just not for it. Don't we? We have. When has that ever worked? Where we're trying to spread democracy? When that was a new thing from Theodore Roosevelt. Tell me a time it worked. It creates enemies, big enemies, and. Um, all kinds of problems. Um, I think if we would have kept Bagram, at least on the way out, we wouldn't have had this problem. Um, but this was so bungled from the get-go. I mean, I I struggle because I'm for pulling everybody home. I'm tired of it. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of it. Um, however, you're about to see what happens when we just go home. Yeah. Um, you can't leave a vacuum. We've had a hundred years of doing this. It, let's can we spend five years on saying, okay, who's going to take that Air Force Base? Because it's not going to be us. Who's going to? Who has interest to hold that together? Um, you know, or listen to the people on the ground. The right answer in Afghanistan is let them break up into tribes. That's who they are. They're tribes. Let them break up into as many tribes as possible. The problem with the Middle East, Balfour Declaration. They intentionally cobbled those countries together, creating tension. So they would never really have peace. They were tribes. Let the tribes be. Let people congregate the way they want to congregate. And quite honestly... I feel the same way about America. You know, Oregon, Seattle, California, if that's what you want to do, do it. 
I ain't paying for it. Don't ask me to help you when it fails horribly, you know, and don't stick people into it. I'm not going to stick you into what we do in Texas. Don't stick me into California. Just let people be. If you can't come up with a set of 10 ideas that are universal, like freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom to defend yourself, you know, don't quarter people in houses. That's a pretty easy one. If you can't agree on those, we shouldn't be really together anyway. Yeah, that's sort of uh, uh, Mike Lee's point about federalism, that the, the growing hostility and clash in American culture, us versus them, red versus blue, conservative versus progressive, um, tracks very closely to the centralization of power in Washington, D.C., Oh yeah, and the genius of the American model was that we 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 knew we weren't all the same. We didn't have to be all the same. We just had to agree on a couple core values, and and then we were free to go about our business. Um, maybe that's part of this counter revolution we're talking about: people voting with their feet. I hope so. I think people are, you know, I know I'm in the right state with what's happening with the Fed and you know a, a new U.S. digital dollar. I'm glad I live in a state that called all of its gold home from the Federal Reserve and has every dollar of it. You know, Texas, China, Russia even, are the ones who will survive because they have the gold. And when things do reset, somebody's going to have to have something. And, um, you know, Texas, we all get along. And you can have a different opinion just uh it's because you're all well armed <laughs> exactly right <laughs> and don't forget that <laughs> <laughs> so your project is to convince terry to let me leave washington dc because she loves her house and i hate living in that authoritarian hellhole anymore and put her on the phone with me because you're running out of time yeah you know i think there's going to come a time soon where Wherever you are is where you will be. Yeah. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. That was amazing. Where can I get more content just like that? It's a great question. You're clearly a discerning consumer of the best content. Make sure to like the video, subscribe, and click the bell. And if you're consuming podcasts, go to Apple, Stitcher, anywhere you get them. I'm in. Kibbe on Liberty, honest conversations with interesting people. Mm -hmm.